Today, we're going to start a new sermon series called God in the Wilderness. Now, the 50 days between Easter and Pentecost in the New Testament, they're a time of learning for Jesus's disciples. You see, they're living between two worlds, the one they've known and lived in, and the new creation that burst forth into the world with resurrection. So we spent some time with those disciples uh, as they navigate being Easter people in a Good Friday world. Now, I don't know about you, but that's exactly how I feel this year. We're in between ways of life, and it is a strange place to be. It feels like the wilderness. The world is in a wilderness moment. And so what do we make of that? And how do we live? And the bigger question is, how will we learn to live differently because we've been in the wilderness? Now, we are definitely not the first of God's people to journey in the wilderness. The Israelite people did too. Once they are liberated from Egypt, they're thrust into a new normal on the way to the promised land. They wander first in the desert for 50 days until God gives them the law at Mount Sinai. And that corresponds to our day of Pentecost as well. But also, because of their stubbornness, they wander for 40 years. And throughout that time, they learn many lessons as God shapes them into the people he's called them to be. Now, I'm convinced that God wants to teach us some lessons in our wilderness. So between now and Pentecost, we're going to follow their journey in the wilderness in hopes that we can learn from their mistakes so that we don't have to live them ourselves. And so I invite you to hear uh, the word of the Lord today. We're going to be in Exodus. We'll have two passages. We'll share a verse from chapter 15, verse 22, and then 16, verse 2 on down. So I invite you to hear the word of the Lord. Then Moses ordered Israel to set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. The whole congregation of the Israelites complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots and ate our fill of the bread. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill us, to kill the whole assembly with hunger. And then the Lord said to Moses, I am going to rain bread from heaven for you, and each day the people shall go out and gather enough for that day. In that way, I will test them whether they will follow my instruction or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather on other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your complaining against the Lord. For what are we that you complain against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening and your fill of bread in the morning, because the Lord has heard the complaining that you uttered against him, what are we? Your complaining is not against us, but against the Lord. And then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the Israelites, Draw near to the Lord, for he has heard your complaining. And as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the Israelites, they looked toward the wilderness 
and the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord spoke to Moses and said, I have heard the complaining of the Israelites. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall have your fill of bread, and then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening, quails came up and covered the camp. And in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the layer of dew lifted there on the surface of the wilderness was a fine flaky substance as fine as frost on the ground. And when the Israelites saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather as much of it as each of you needs, an omer to each person according to the number of persons, all providing for those in their own tents. The Israelites did so, some gathering more, some gathering less. But when they measured it with an omer, those who gathered much had nothing over, and those who gathered little had no shortage. They gathered as much as each of them needed. And Moses said to them, Let no one leave any of it over until morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it until morning, and it bred worms and became foul. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning they gathered it, as much as each needed. But when the sun grew warm, it melted. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts together be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen and amen. So here's a pro tip. Not really a pro tip. You probably already know it. If you shop on Amazon, read the reviews before you buy something. Listen, it's better to avoid trouble by learning from someone else's experience. Am I right? So there are a few things that I watch out for. Uh, For example, a review like this. This product did not match the description. It did not do what the seller promised. And here's another one that I look out for. Bad customer service. The product's faulty and they wouldn't replace it. I want my money back. Hey, don't buy those. (laughs) I bet the Israelites wish that they had read some Amazon reviews or could have before they took God up on the promise. You see, Exodus 3 tells us what they signed up for. God told them, I have promised to rescue you from oppression in Egypt. I will lead you to a land flowing with milk and honey. Whew, that sounds great. Freedom from generations of oppression? Awesome. The promised land? Perfect. You'll deliver us by your own power? Hey, sign me up. Take my money. Let's go. (laughs) And it was amazing. You see, God put Pharaoh in his place. He showed power against Egypt's rebellion. God saved their firstborn children at the Passover. And he parted the Red Sea so that they could escape the Egyptian army. And then he closed it right on top of the enemies. The land of milk and honey, here we go. (laughs) Not so fast. Here's what happened next. In Exodus 15, we read, Then Moses ordered Israel to set out from the Red Sea, 
and they went into the wilderness of Shur. Well, okay. <laughs> the wilderness is on the way to the milk and honey, so we're going to do it that way. But after three days, the Israelites realized that they weren't going to arrive in the promised land by two-day prime shipping. There's no fresh water. There's no sign of milk and honey. And it's very, very hot. If they could have written a review, it would sound something like this quote from Exodus 16. If only we had died by the hand of the Lord in Egypt when we sat by the flesh pots and had our fill of bread. For you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Straight from the scriptures. Sounds like a bad review, doesn't it? It sounds like... Uh, I didn't receive what was promised, and hey, I want my money back. The Israelites would spend 40 years in the wilderness. But the wilderness isn't a failed promise, though. It's part of the promise. You see, leaving the boundaries of Egypt was the easy part. Leaving the bondage of Egypt, now, that was another story. They could enter the promised land in a matter of weeks, but becoming the kind of people that could truly receive the promised land, that would take more time. The wilderness, it's a place where God teaches and matures us into the people he's called us to be. You know, I was talking to a faithful Christian the other day, somebody that I just really respect and look up to their faith, and it was so interesting. They said, this has been harder than I thought it would be. You know, with the whole world turned upside down, I, I, I'm realizing that I've got a lot to learn about trusting God with everything. Yeah, it's interesting that even those who have spent a lifetime in learning are finding themselves still in a place of learning. It reminds me of uh, the Apostle Paul. He wrote this in the scriptures. He said, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. And that's something that Paul had to learn. He learned it in the wilderness of want and hardship and need. The wilderness, it's a formation place where God's lessons take root in the deepest parts of our souls. The Israelites will eventually enter the promised land, spoiler alert, and we will too, because God is faithful. But the question really isn't whether God will bring us to it, but whether we will allow God to work the transformation in us, or will we write a bad review and look at the return policy? And so I want to encourage all of us, let's learn the lessons of the wilderness, because the outcome is more beautiful than it appears. And so let's begin uh, today with one lesson, one lesson learned two ways, and it's simply this, God provides. So the first way we'll look at it is God provides. God provides, focusing on his provision. So when the Israelites were in Egypt, God provided a leader in Moses. When Pharaoh wouldn't let them go, God provided power. When they needed a way through the Red Sea, God parted the waves. Do you see? God provides. But do you know what all of those things have in common? 
There are things that the Israelites had no control over, even if they tried. It's easier to trust God with things that are already out of our control than it is with things that we're used to controlling. The everyday things that we're used to having our hand in, like food and water, things like our rewards and our earnings. It's easier to trust God sometimes with our eternity than our daily security. One way, one way we know that we can't control things is when we simply can't make it happen. And, and, and in one way, we know we can't control our eternity, and God does that. But the rest of it, listen, we're used to controlling that. And that's the challenge I think the Israelites face. A day or two in the wilderness is fine. Hey, that's like camping or glamping, if that's your thing. But after three days, they've run out of water and they can't find any. And a month in, which is where our story takes place, they're more than hungry. They hangry. Do you know the difference between hungry and hangry? When you're hungry, you just need some food. When you're, hung- when you're hangry, you're hungry and angry about it. Who will find food in the desert? How, how will we find it? When will we find it? You see, they never had problems with the food supply chain before, ever. Well, they did back generations ago, but they don't remember. And a collective anxiety takes over. And they complain against Moses and Aaron. Hey, listen, we'd have been better off if God would have killed us in Egypt. At least we would have died with food in our mouths. That's rough. they rather die in slavery with food to eat than struggle through the wilderness as freed people. You see, the everyday things, they can reveal within us deep fears. It reminds me um, of a quote from an episode of The West Wing. I don't know if you all are familiar with that show. Uh, In this particular episode, the White House advisors are debating whether or not to let the nation know that there has been a case of mad cow disease in the country. And so one of the writers uh, uh, the advisors, he's, he worries that the news out will cause a panic, that if they tell people it will cause a panic. And here's what he says. He says, we're not just talking about sushi. We're talking about hamburgers. I'm not messing around. It's these things, the everyday things, the everyday American things, the 99 set things, that when you suddenly have to be afraid of them, it strikes at the center of our equilibrium. The everyday things. They cause somehow bigger fear. When we realize that we don't have control over the everyday things, it really does cause a panic. Or, more accurately, it reveals the insecurity that has always been there. Now, hunger isn't the only problem here. It's just the hole where the air is leaking out of the tires of their character I mean, look at all the trouble this reveals in their community. They complain against Moses and Aaron instead of taking their trouble to God. They whitewash their past, longing for the bread of Egypt, but conveniently forgetting that they were slaves in Egypt. And extremely tragic, they wish for death over the unknown. It's all this troubles wrapped up in that. But God is gracious. God provides. 
He sends quail by night and manna, which is that sweet bread that tastes like coriander and honey. He sends it from heaven in the morning. And he promises that there will be enough for every day. He gives them more than food. It's security. He satisfies their hungry bellies and their hungry souls because God provides. This is the kind of God, the God of the universe, the God that provides. Think about the ways that God has provided for you recently. Have you had food to eat, a place to sleep, air to breathe? For some of you, God has provided people, neighbors to encourage you and shop for you. Or maybe, maybe you sense that God has provided you with a needed break from the busyness that you are trapped in. I mean, just think about the ways that God has provided for us. Even in this time when we can't gather, God has provided us with technology and thankfully with folks like Angie and Alan and Mary Ann who know how to use it so that we could still connect in this crazy time and experience worship and one another. God provides. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a comfort for me. When I am in need, God provides for me. Now, there's another part to that lesson, though. It's a simple two words, God provides. But now let's look at it from a different lens. We looked at how God provides, but now let's look at how God provides. You see, God is the one who provides for us. A major source of the Israelites' pain is, is that they sought provision somewhere other than God. <laughs> Even though God had shown them so many amazing things like bringing them out of Egypt and parting the sea. But look, when it came down to the everyday, ordinary things, they looked elsewhere. They looked to Moses and Aaron. They looked back to Egypt and they even, even after God had blessed them with the manna and the quail, even after that, they looked to themselves. Do you remember what happened? So God sent the manna with an instruction. He said, gather just enough for today, no more, no less. And still people were hoarding up enough manna to make leftovers the next day. They didn't have microwaves. I don't know what they were trying to do, but I get it. Send me to an all-you-can-eat buffet, and I'm going to pile that plate up high. They were thankful today, but they were trusting themselves for tomorrow. And then the leftovers, they spoiled by the next morning, and they were left with nothing but the manna that God once again provided. They were learning a difficult lesson. Trust God for your daily needs and trust him again tomorrow, and again tomorrow, and again tomorrow. I mean, listen to uh, verses 6 and 7. Let me share those with you. It says this. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening you shall know it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning, you shall see the glory of the Lord. God's provision isn't just temporary relief until we can get back on our feet. It's a way of life 
that redirects our daily trust back to God. So God sends quail in the evening. That's awesome. Fry a bird. You can barbecue a bird. You can roast a bird. You can bubba gump a bird. But he does it for a purpose. Listen, he says, it's so that you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. The quail, it's a reminder that the God who is powerful enough to do what we cannot do is still the source of what we think we can do. Let me say that again. I want to make sure we get that. It is a reminder that the God who can do what we cannot do is still the source of what we think we can do. Every time the Israelites receive the quail, it's a reminder that it is God that provides and that that is such as powerful an act for their daily life as parting the sea was for their entire community. God is the one who provided it. It wasn't Moses. It wasn't Aaron. It was not Egypt. And it was not themselves. He gave them provision with a purpose that not only would they have what they need, but they would become a certain kind of people. And the manna, that's the bread in the morning. It's more than just food for breakfast. It's more than, hey, go make some toast. The Bible tells us that they were instructed, in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord. And they saw the glory of the Lord come in the cloud, but by morning every day, They saw that glory in the form of manna. The glory of God fell like dew to provide for them every day. And the glory of the Lord shines where God's presence is. And that means that the glory of God is as present in their lives as the bread he sent to them each day. It is a daily presence. Listen to me. God isn't just in the big things where he parts the sea and makes a way where there wasn't no way. God is in the everyday, ordinary things. And the bread isn't just a sign. It's not a sign at all of their status or their ability or their efforts. It's God's glory every day in the ordinary things. This, as they pick up their manna, they can say, this is God's glory for me for today. You see, God's provision isn't just for our bellies. It's not just to fulfill our wants, and it's not just for the moment when we can't make it on our own. It's for our lives moment by moment. And we can see that most readily in the teaching of Jesus. Do you remember, this is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Do you remember the time that Jesus was out teaching uh, in the countryside at mealtime? And there were were something like 5,000 and more people gathered there and they were getting hungry and Jesus didn't want them to get hangry. But all they had were a few loaves of bread and some fish. Now, how is that going to feed so many people? And so when the folks entrusted what little they did have, into the hands of Jesus, he made it more than enough to feed the entire crowd with some leftover. Afterwards, Jesus said these words to them. I want to read them to you. They're in John chapter 6. He said, Very truly I tell you, 
It was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So the crowd said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus is the bread of life. And not just the bread for our bellies, but the bread that gives us life. He is our manna, the everyday provision of God for our lives and the big things and in the small things. God provides us with such as we need. And if we are trusting in anything else, in anyone else, we will never be sustained. We will always be hungry spiritually. Jesus is the bread of life, and God has provided everything we truly need for our lives in Christ. And so the lesson of the wilderness, God provides and God provides. The first lesson is a comfort for us when we're in the wilderness. God provides when we can't provide. And the second, it's a test of trust. Our deepest hungers will only be satisfied when we do the daily work of trusting in God with everything and for everything. Will you learn to trust God for the simple, everyday things? Will you let go of the need to control and plan and strive? And will you trust God to do what only God can do anyway? The wilderness is not an easy place. It's not an easy place for me. It's hard to learn these lessons. It's an in-between place, between uh, the place where we were and the place of the promise. I get that and I feel that. I also feel this lesson burgeoning up in my soul. And I know it's a lesson that God wants to teach all of his people. The lesson that God provides, not just when we can't do it. God provides because we can't do any of it. God provides for all of the things. And so will you join me? Because so I'm going to ask this question too in prayer. God, what are you trying to teach me in the wilderness? Where can I grow in deeper trust? And I pray that you know God's provision in the wilderness. I pray that you see the ways that he provides for you. And I pray and join you in prayer for the provision that you need. And I also pray for all of us that we can learn the lessons of the wilderness, allowing God to etch them into the deepest part of our souls. And so today I pray that you are finding new trust in the God who provides. God provides for us, and it is God that provides. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you so much for your provision in our lives. And I thank you that you are reliable in all things, and that we can truly trust you. While we are in between where we've been and where you've called us, 
in this wilderness. Father, will you teach us, gently if we are willing, the lessons of the wilderness. Today I pray for everyone listening and watching that you would help us by your Holy Spirit to grow in trust and that when we feel that tension of worry and anxiety over something that we cannot control that we once could, that that would be a signal for us, Lord, to open our spirit to your spirit. Teach us to trust that we might grow into the people that you call us to be in this formational place called the wilderness. Bless us and be with us in the name of Jesus. Amen. You know, one of the things I know, and we'll talk about more next week, is that these lessons can be hard to learn alone. If you felt God speaking to you and calling you, maybe into a joyous place where you now know that you don't have to do it all, will you please share that with us? You can do that on the connection card and privately let me know what God has spoken to you, or you can send me a message on Facebook or email. And maybe today you felt challenged. You can just picture exactly where it is that God is calling you to let go and grab on and trust. Would you like somebody to walk with you, to support you, so that you know that you don't have to do that alone? Please, you can share in the comments with your friends that are joining you in worship. You can also use our connection card, and I'd be glad to help somebody walk alongside you because we don't have to do these things alone. They're good, and I pray that God will work wonders in your lives. Well, my friends, consider all these things as we share in this moment of ministry as Marianne leads us in another song.